Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Talking the Cure, Hogan Lovell's Life Sciences and Healthcare Podcast. We've somewhat of a behind-the-scenes episode for you today. A while back, I sat down with Jeff Jay and Tina Welter to talk about the engagement as leads of the Life Sciences and Healthcare Associate Committee. Since we recorded the episodes a couple of weeks or more likely, I would say a few months ago, a few references regarding the pandemic are not up to date anymore. But the focus of this conversation was on their work in the committee, so I hope you can oversee this. As always, I'm keeping the entry short since we're going to hear each other after this for some housekeeping. Without further ado, let's sit down and talk The Cure. Hi everyone. Before we kick this off, I would like to introduce, or more likely let Tina and Jeff introduce themselves. I think I'm going to start with Tina. So uh, Tina, thank you for joining. Can you give us a quick description who you are and what your role with the firm is? Hi, Julius. Hi, hi Jeff. Um, thanks for having us on this podcast episode. So yes, um, my name is Tina Welter. I'm a senior associate with Hogan Lovers Germany. I'm a commercial and regulatory lawyer solely dedicated to the life science industry. I also do some compliance work. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff Jay. I'm the senior associate in the New York office of the firm and I'm what I would describe myself as a life sciences transactional lawyer. I do M&A and licensing and drug development collaborations for early stage and late stage biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies as well as some day-to-day -day operational and commercial contracting. Interesting. I asked the question in advance to say, okay, is it worth kind of asking you guys how much time do you devote to life sciences and healthcare? And the main answer was 100%. So I think there is not much to comment there. But what turned you to life sciences? So when you started out, how do you decide that you're going to work in this field? Jeff? Sure. So I've basically been interested in life sciences as long as I can remember. When I went to college, like I'd say two thirds of people, I thought I wanted to do pre-med and start taking the classes and had an internship at the University of Virginia for a pre-medical program. And I really liked everything about medicine, except actually being in the clinic, interestingly <laughs> enough. So I, I kind of changed gears there. And got a job at my college's medical center doing research and just have always been interested in it. And when I went to law school, I thought I would do healthcare or regulatory type of work, but I ended up getting a job at my prior firm, which was a pharmaceutical patent litigation boutique firm. So for a couple of years before I came to Hogan Lovells, I was a patent litigator in life sciences space. And I've, I don't know. I've always just been drawn to it. I think it's really interesting. It's a it's an industry that everyone interfaces with, has experience with. We all, you know, know someone who's been sick or gone through the healthcare industry in particular, and it's been really rewarding and interesting working on matters in this area. Interesting, especially the switch from patent litigation into the transactional field. It just switching from litigation to M and A is not the usual career path I heard of over the time I worked in the in the law firm business. For sure, for sure. And I won't go too much into that except to say I'm, I'm glad I was able to make the switch. I'm really 
interested and love doing deal work and getting to know the business side of clients. Not to disparage our, our litigator colleagues out there. You know, I was one. It's really interesting work too, but I, I think I found the right place doing transactional work. When I finished school, I wasn't really sure about what to do. Of course, you know, I wanted to go to university and study something, but I was uh, really open about the decision what to do. So I considered uh, political science. I also considered medicines for a long time. But in the end, you know, I somehow ended up with law. And then, you know, in Germany, you have like quite extensive law studies. You go to university for several years and then you go to do your legal traineeship, which is also, again, like two years. And then, you know, in the end, you're qualified to do basically everything within the realm of the law. But then you have to decide. And uh, during my studies, I did like a fair portion of social security law. And I wanted to do this like on an ongoing basis. And you can do this with um, employment law. And I tried to do employment law, but in the end, it wasn't for me. And so um, during my clerkship, then I, well, I went to a big law firm and did some product liability work there. And this was product liability for healthcare already. And then, you know, I realized that it's really interesting to work with a product as such and then to work, you know, with these types of product. And then um, I, you know, I went to a boutique law firm, so a law firm who is only, which is only dedicated to um, the health and life science industry uh, in Berlin, did some months there, but then decided to go back to university and wrote my PhD, which took me like several years. And I stayed at university quite long and wasn't sure whether I still wanted, you know, to go back to a law firm and be a lawyer. After finishing the, the PhD or while I was finishing, I realized, okay, good, um, let's do this. And I talked to several law firms and not only life sciences, also other areas of the law. But, you know, in the end, it was just clear that the life science industry is what I'm still really excited about. And this, as uh, Jeff has already said, you know, if we see sort of products that we are working with now are products which have not yet hit the market or about to hit market. So in, in several years, maybe only. And it's really interesting to see already now what will be possible in the future. And to advise on that, it's like really, really exciting. I get it. <laughs> so one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you is that you are co-heading the life sciences and healthcare associate committee which is quite a unique position within the firm and so far that i know i don't think that there is such a kind of initiative in other firms as well and that brought set up we do here so instead of me talking and introducing the whole idea i would like to shift over to you so could you give a quick introduction and what the life sciences and healthcare associate committee is and what your task within this associate committee is sure i'm, I'm happy to take the first stab at this and and let tina chime in after but basically the life sciences and healthcare associate committee is a, a forum for associates throughout Hogan Lovells, both in the Americas and in, in Europe and everywhere around the world where we have a presence to join together and discuss happenings within the life sciences and healthcare industry group. 
you know, so, some associates work 100% of their time, or as we were joking before, over 100% of our time in the life sciences and healthcare space. Others kind of dabble in it, or it's a portion of their practice, but not a majority of it. But this is really a forum designed to kind of be an information sharing place where people are kept updated about the goings on at the firm and the life sciences and healthcare and are given the opportunity to present to others. It's we meet quarterly as part of Tina and I's role as the co-leads of the committee where we've been invited to attend the life sciences and healthcare leadership team's regular meetings, which is composed of partners throughout the world and that they have a handful of discrete issues that we get to sit in and on and participate and kind of take back our our learnings and share them with the broader group. So it, it's kind of serving as a liaison between the partnership and the leadership team at the firm in this space and, and the associates like us who operate in this space frequently. I'm not really sure what Jeff and I actually did to be in this position to be allowed to do that, but that's, you know, it's simply amazing uh, to say at least not only... Not <laughs> <laughs> not not only that you know we can experience the, the leadership discussing things it's also you know i would say that when i look at the european associates and senior associates i know mostly all of them personally or you know we have met or we have worked together and these are all great people and you know to to be you know represent them in the leadership team it's it's like really great honor and from my perspective you know we are a global law firm, and it makes total sense that, you know, also the associates and senior associates in the global law firm are also connected. At least, you know, as I see it, my work is, of course, it's that I'm a German-trained lawyer. I'm also a U-trained lawyer to some extent. And the work I do, of course, is, is German law work, but also, you know, we, we often... and this is like most of the cases we are working on involves like various jurisdictions. And the answer to our questions usually is not one jurisdiction, what it is in Germany. It's also how it is in France, how it is in Italy and how it is in Spain. And it's really, really helpful, you know, to be able to just pick up the phone and call someone and say, hey, look, we got a new matter. The question is this and that. Can I shoot you this over? Can we have a call on that? And this all, you know, becomes really easy if you know the people personally and if you also know what the people are working on. And what we're doing in the associate committee is we're providing a platform also for associates to share their work, to talk about their work. Pretty frequently in my day-to-day -day practice, we'll come across issues that have, you know, from my U.S. perspective, have international legal issues. And it is definitely helpful to know the people all across the world who could help with that. And it makes it a lot easier and much more efficient. And, you know, throughout the process, you learn a lot more about different areas, both, you know, throughout the world. And it makes you a better lawyer. It makes you feel more connected throughout the firm because it's a pretty big place. I, you know, I don't know where we rank overall, but we have to be very near the top as far as associates and, and overall lawyers. And it's, you know, a little daunting at times trying to figure out who's the right person to go to for this particular issue, even though we know we have someone. It, and I think this committee in particular helps us kind of bridge the gap and get to those places more efficiently and, and makes us all better lawyers and, and closer colleagues. So this would answer my more follow-up question, what you thought about the initiative, but I'm interested in, and we, you touched a little bit because that includes what you think about it. When I 
approached you the first time asking you if you would would like to be part of this initiative or more likely leading it. What was your first thought? You know, I actually was honored. I thought it was a cool thing to be nominated for. I think Asher Rubin actually reached out to me about it initially. And, you know, just getting the opportunity to do this, like Tina said, I'm not really sure why I was picked personally. Like getting to know Tina, obvious, it's obvious why she was picked given, you know, how excellent she is at her job. But it's just honestly, it's been a really cool, <laughs> no <laughs> obligation to say that, I really mean it. But, you know, it's been, it's been a very cool experience. And, you know, I guess my initial reaction to come back to your question, Julius, was, I was honored and, and, you know, excited to do it. I was also a little unsure as to what I actually would be doing. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd seen what Alison Lehner had done from the America side before me, and she had been, done an awesome job. And I think, you know, and, and maybe this is delving into future questions, but part of the challenge, I think, especially in the COVID world is, is participation and associate engagement within the, within the committee. So for any associates listening, I would encourage you to keep participating and keep spreading the word about the committee. And, you know, that, that was one of the challenges that, that I foresaw a little bit as the, the pandemic started spreading. And I'm not sure, Tina, what, what thoughts did you have as, as you were approached and what challenges did you foresee? Well, you know, as said, I wasn't sure why I was picked to do this. Um, and then I thought, okay, good, let, let's do, of course, I've also seen what Henri has done in, in the past with the committee. And uh, I, th- I thought, okay, this is, this is really cool. Let, let's pick up on this and, and try to evolve this further, which is what, you know, we are actually doing with like stressing out like the active participation that, you know, people chime in. In, into the committee that we have like various initiatives now that we know, as you said, during the COVID-19 with the, the uh, working from home uh, sharing experience. Then, of course, we have uh, the Spotify playlist, which, you know, I'm a huge pusher of, as you both know. And, you know, for me, it's really important that people feel connected all over the world because we are connected. And this is like something f- for me personally that I would like push forward even more. Interesting. You mentioned kind of the networker part since it's essential. Um, I think it's worth commenting that we have over 550 people overall involved in the life sciences and healthcare industry group. And for everyone who knows kind of the structure of a law firm, um, the associates and senior associates and council are an essential part of this and a major part of it. So you mentioned briefly, for example, the Spotify playlist. So especially during COVID, what happened with this initiative? What kind of actions were taken to get people involved? So I think that that's one of the initiatives that I think, Julius, you, you came up with the idea. And I think it was a good one to try to get people involved in, in sharing information and sharing you know, music, which is something that brings people together, um, which is really a helpful thing during this extended period of quarantine. I think we had coupled that initiative with the the work from home associate spotlight initiative that Tina mentioned, where we had been reaching out to associates weekly to basically generate an email that went out to the whole life sciences and healthcare industry group, uh, the over 500 people you had mentioned that detailed 
the associates day-to-day life in quarantine and what they've been doing and how they've been getting through it. But it's also served as a way to increase visibility that associates have with, with the partnership and the leadership at the firm. And I think that's a great initiative, obviously coming from an associate perspective. One, one of the related initiatives I know that the partnership is, is involved in is what they're calling the Rising Stars Initiative, which is it's really a concerted effort to make sure that associates and senior associates at the firm feel appreciated and recognized for the type of work that they're doing and getting recognition for their victories. And, you know, when, when I sat in on that call, I, I was really struck by the sincerity and, and the eagerness that the partnership has regarding that initiative. You know, I, I definitely always feel appreciated at the firm. And, and to me, that was just, you know, icing on the cake as far as knowing that the partnership is really focused on making sure that people who they anticipate being future leaders and, you know, contributing long-term here feel valued. And I, I can't say that's something that definitely happens across all law firms and all workplaces where people are making it one of their priorities to make sure that, you know, people in equivalent positions as, as associates and senior associates feel that type of assurance. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and from a future perspective, do you set any goals for you or where do you would like to head this initiative? Where do you think is room for improvement? What is kind of your 2021 agenda more likely? Any thoughts about that? You, you mean with the initiative, I think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. So we had this uh, various initiatives now and especially in the working from home associate spotlight, you could see that the way the people experienced that was like really different. So we had people who were, you know, quite happy to spend so much time at home because they, you know, got to spend more time with their families, with their children, with their dogs or whatever. And, uh, but we also had, you know, some people saying, oh, actually for me, this wasn't so cool or it turned out cooler than I actually thought in the beginning. And so, you know, we have still a tendency to only speak about good things. And I think this is also important to do, but I think, you know, we need more of a speak up culture when it comes to the problems, because of course, this is like really, really great workplace and people stay because or come to us because it's a really great workplace and they stay with us because it's a really great workplace. But, you know, as everywhere, there are problems and, you know, you need to speak about the problems to make people stay even longer. And I think this is something that we need to work on. And this is also something where we in the initiative can make a bigger impact when we have like a greater speak up culture. And I think we're not there yet, to be honest. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think that was one of the reasons why the leadership decided or asked for this kind of initiative and introduced the rising stars idea to, to kind of create this room for improvement and get direct feedback from you. Right. Sure. And, you know, we have we have to start somewhere and we have to pick up at a certain point and then evolve from that. And I think, you know, we are now at the point where we need to make the shift a little bit. And this is also a cultural thing, of course, you know, because we are not only the Germans, they have a tendency, as we are known in the firm, to, to speaking up, to being quite frank about things and for phrasing like really direct what they want, what they think, <laughs> what they, you know, want to do. But this is not um, like in all cultures the same way. 
and um, there we can also learn from each other. And I think that's that's a good thing. And that's also, I think, something that I can bring to the table. Yeah, definitely. The point taken on different cultures and how it's handled, at least in, in the United States, you're not necessarily told what your expectation is, but it, it's kind of implied in your life to try to handle it. So for, you know, for some of my colleagues who have young children and trying to balance that while working from home during quarantine without being able to have access to, you know, childcare services or being able to send their kids to school. A lot of people in that position are, are, are struggling a bit to stay afloat with some of the demands that are just inherent in, in big law. And I think Tina's right that, you know, there's always room for improvement on it. And I do think the fact that we have an associates committee where these types of things can be discussed and that Tina and I are, are privy to these discussions and kind of can can pass messages back and forth and facilitate those communications and discussions is definitely a proactive way for the firm to, to, to address this. I mean, this is definitely not an issue that's unique to Hogan Levels at all, but it's, it's, you know, pervasive throughout the world for any for any country and any group, which is having to work from home and doesn't have access to the normal structures that can make our lives easier. I mean, you know, it's also an issue about just expectation on, on your time a little bit, you know, when you're not coming into the office and, and during the darkest times of quarantine, speaking for myself, I would wake up and have emails and where I normally would go to the gym and, you know, shower and then commute half an hour to the office, I would sit down at my laptop and start working and then it would be noon and, and I would still be in my, you know, pajamas basically. And it, it's, you know, trying to set up structures to make things as normal as possible while acknowledging that things aren't normal and having an associate viewpoint on, on that and having the partnership know that and get to hear from our experience is important for that because, you know, partners are in a different stage of life than many associates are and have different expectations and different roles. They're not usually the ones sitting in front of the computer redrafting a purchase agreement or doing the legal research. They're the ones who are being recorded on it or commenting on it. And it's, you know, it's just acknowledging those differences and trying to make sure they're accounted for in our structures going forward. And I, and, and I you know, to emphasize, I do think we're doing a good job at it. Like Tina said, there are room, there is room for improvement, just like in any organization as big as ours. Um, but to me, that's that's kind of just the challenge that's not necessarily specific to life sciences. But I do think that our group is definitely taking steps to try to address it. Interesting. And I think that. But can I add said, one? Can I add something? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing that one cannot forget is that. You know, especially the life sciences industry has been like really, really busy within the last month. So it was especially challenging for associates to, to sit at home, to handle all these things that Jeff has just mentioned, but not doing this in your regular workspace where you have access to like a copy machine or all your, all your documents, you know, have everything printed out or so. So this was like a really big challenge for all of us to, you know, provide the advice when needed on time with the quality we always do and this was like a, re a really huge effort that everyone made definitely and you know you have dogs barking in the background you have traffic going on you, you're trying to share your one bedroom with with your spouse or your significant other to take calls and 
it, it's just crazy. It really is crazy. And, and that's, again, not as an issue specific to associates, but I do think it's something that associates deal with more than, than the partnership or, or more senior lawyers, just given, you know, the realities of the demographics of who associates are and, and their stage of life, et cetera. Obviously, because my neighbor just started mowing his lawn. I'm not sure if you can hear it, but I can hear it. And he is ahead of his weekly mowing schedule because he normally starts at stick 30. Three times a week, by the way. A very, so, good, very good illustration of what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> just painting the picture. Um, so, and I think the introduction of... Um, the associate in super interesting initiative. And again, we're pushing it to for development and going forward with it. So coming back to you personally, so did you set any goals for yourself for 2021? I think it's hard to plan with all the pandemic stuff going on, but um, in a perspective for the next 10 months, Anything in mind? Sure, sure. I'll take a stab. I, I think as as I came into 2020, uh, kind kind of the thing I wanted to focus on more, at least from a work perspective, was getting more experience doing doing things like this, being you know interviewed and speaking with people, and getting more time to interface. A lot of your time as as a junior and a mid level associate is learning the technical aspects of your job and being able to be proficient and from, from a deal lawyer's perspective in drafting and, and revising agreements and maintaining process of due diligence and all the other specific legal processes and, and components of my day-to-day -day practice. But something I really want to get better at and, and I've been given the opportunity to do so is, is number one, increasing visibility and doing you know, kind of interfacing things like this, both within and outside the firm, but also getting the opportunity to, to, to negotiate and advise clients and, and negotiate their agreements and, and their business deals. And the partners with whom I've been working have been really generous with giving me leeway to do that and lead those discussions in certain situations. And to me, that's, you know, it's a very fulfilling aspect where you're actually getting to help people. I, I know that's a sentiment that people have all the time about, well, I just want to help people. And I think that when you're doing that, at least in my practice, that's the closest and, and the most fulfilling way that you're helping someone is that you're helping guide them through a, a transaction that may be, you know, about the company transaction. It may be the most important thing that this group of people works on over a five-year period or a 10-year period and being a trusted advisor in that context and helping guide them to solutions that you think may be workable, while also trying not to push them there. There's a little bit of a nuanced way of, of handling that and, and helping them navigate trading issues and negotiating and help identifying what's actually something we're gonna care about and what's gonna be hampering our, our business operations five years down the road if we don't get this right. To me, that, that's been something that I really wanted to work on and get more experience doing, and I, I've been fortunate enough to, to have the opportunity to do that. So I have no plan, uh, which makes me <laughs> <laughs> answering the question. Seize the day. Seize yeah, the day. I have no plan. <laughs> I think I have no plan, I seize the day is the perfect answer to that, especially in the regulatory field. <laughs> 
<laughs> what I think what planning, you know, for me makes really, really difficult is that as you know, we're still dealing, although, you know, we have now mid-August, we're still dealing with the pandemic. You know, first of all, of course, we had all the emergency supply of medicinal products and, 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 and trucks. But now, you know, we are, there are so many questions which are not yet answered, but just, you know, just coming up. So we're dealing with this still. And I think this make, made any plan that you may have for the next, or had for this year and you may have for the next month, um, like still challenging. Because, you know, we are still in the middle of it. Although, you know, people, when I look out of the window here in Munich, people are sitting in cafes and, and sitting in, in the English garden, which is like a really nice park down the street. And it looks normal, but it is not. And for us, it is not. Our work is pretty much still determined by COVID-19, which makes planning, of course, you know, still quite um, problematic. That's a good answer. Fair enough. And, have no. <laughs> <laughs> and going really back, and this is more likely two questions I close down my interview normally as first of all, um, if you would be able, able to talk to your younger self, would there be anything else you would have changed? No, not not really. Maybe I shouldn't have spent so much time writing my PhD. So in retrospective, maybe this was not, from a lawyer perspective, not that efficient. But I really had a great time at university, so I think that's fine. So at university, I mean teaching law. So this was like really, really great time I had there. You know, just basically, don't worry. It, it will be fine. <laughs> it you figure it out. You figure it out, yeah. <laughs> let, let, let your future self take care of this. You're fine. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> Jeff? Definitely agree with that. Things do tend to work out if you put in the time and the effort, I think. I, at least I found that in my, my professional experience. I guess the one thing I would say, and it, it's not specific to me necessarily, but it's it's something I always try to emphasize with, with you know junior colleagues are, are two things. The first is thinking about who your client is. It's not just the, the company that, or the person that may have engaged you for, for representation. It's everyone you're working with and you're developing a reputation from day one when you come into Hogan Lovells or any other firm and you don't know where your paths may cross with someone. You may not get along with someone and, and you may be rude to them and they may leave the firm or you may leave and who knows three, four, five years, 10 years down the road, you may be across from them or in the same workplace and just being cognizant that one of the most important things is your reputation. And that's not to say I've always been perfect at it, but it's just something to always keep in mind is that you're always building a reputation in your interactions with clients, but also any other lawyers you work with. And the second I would say is to, to someone just starting out in this position is just, you know, seize the opportunity. You're, you're in the room with people who, are super successful and have been doing this job a long time. And, you know, what, one of the things that I found when I was a junior lawyer is that you're listening to partners talk about arguments being made and, and counter arguments to it and how to think through issues. It, it's a really great opportunity to actually see and learn about how law can be practiced in different substantive points. So I would just say, try to be a sponge in that situation. I mean, 
it is hard when, quite frankly, you know, as a junior person, you may not understand it. And I've certainly been on calls and in meetings where I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And you kind of doze off and you think about your weekend plans. And I would just say, you know, that happens to all of us. It, you know, it happens to me sometimes too. But just trying to avoid that and just trying to, you know, while you're having the opportunity, if it's something you're interested in and you want to do long-term, just trying to seize that opportunity. I agree. Me too. That crosses over to my field as well. And my favorite question of all, and everyone is uncomfortable when I pitch the idea of asking this question. <laughs> so um, my closing question is, if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who would it be and why? And Tina almost spoiled her answer in advance and I stopped her. So I want to start with Jeff to make it even more exciting. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. So I'll get the sentimental one out of the way first. I, the first one I pick is my dad. He, he passed away a few years ago from cancer and He'd always been kind of my biggest supporter from a professional standpoint. And it would just be cool to, to tell him about what's what's been going on since since he passed. I, I got married and, you know, work has been going great so far. And um, just being able to, to speak with him would be awesome for, for obvious reasons. Getting off the sentimental side, uh, the second one I would pick is Anthony Fauci, who's the leading infectious disease expert in the United States. And. I have a lot of questions for him. I'd love to pick the brain for numerous reasons uh, that I think anyone <laughs> would, would understand. And just to me, it's it's fascinating. It's something that all of us who've lived through COVID will remember the rest of our lives. We'll always look back at 2020, and hopefully, it'll just be 2020 because you know there are vaccines in, in pivotal trials right now, which hopefully get approved relatively swiftly. I, I'm more optimistic about it than, than others are, I think. But yeah, Fauci for sure would love to hear everything and anything he wants to talk about from this last year. And we leave it at that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, those listening can, can connect the dots on that, I think. And then the last person I would pick is my favorite athlete, Derek Jeter, who played for the Yankees for about 20 years. Um, that's my favorite sports team. My favorite athlete would just love to hear about all of his experiences from, from winning five world series and just being an all around great athlete and just an awesome guy. Cool. That's interesting. Tina. So Julius, you know, you said that people are usually not excited about when you're pitching the idea of asking this question. Um, and to be honest, you know, I'm, I said, you know, Germans are, uh, you know, known for their frankness. I do not really like this question, and I will tell you why. Um, you know, I go out <laughs> if I step <laughs> <laughs> if I step out of the office and you know just you know turn my head left, turn my head right. There are so many exciting people. If I go home, talk to my family, talk to my friends, um, that those are all really, you know, really interesting, really nice people. And I think, you know, a conversation that I have um, with just randomly someone on the street doesn't become more or less important if it's a good conversation just because someone is famous or is known for something. So this That's is, true. So this is why, you know, I have like, um, like my problems with the question, but I understand that it is a fun question. 
So I will try to answer it in a fun way, and I'm, you know, um, certainly cannot live up to um, Jeff's answer. But as I said, it was a fun question, and I thought about fun answers. So the first person would be uh, Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana. I don't think it will be like a fun dinner, but I think it will most certainly be an interesting dinner. But it depends then which Kurt Cobain and what time. <laughs> I will leave that open. I can deal okay. with whatever comes. But my second dinner will be like, hopefully really funny. Maybe I will feel awkward. Um, this would be with um, Larry David, the producer of Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I'm a big, big fan of. And then, well, the third person would be Banksy, the artist, just because I would like to know how many people would come and maybe I would max out. That's Those are some point. good picks. I think so too. And sitting them all together in a room. And the question is, would Banksy show up or send somebody else? Yeah, or rather, how many people would show up for <laughs> oh, Banksy? How many which is like the yeah. question I was like really, really interested in. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for stepping out of your comfort zone and sharing <laughs> the pics. Um, before we close out, um, is there anything else you would like to address? Any uh, things you kind of would like to point out? You know, if you're a, a young lawyer, at least here in Europe or especially here in Germany, you, you may not know about the different law firms that are out there or you know about them and they look like really similar to you. But um, as Jeff, I have also, you know, I spent some time at a boutique law firm, as I said before, and during my legal traineeship, of course, I have also seen some uh, also big law firms from the inside, and it really makes a difference where you're working. And at least from my point of view, H Hogan Lovers, it, it's all about people. And I think this is this also explains why we have the Associate uh, Committee Initiative. It's a logic consequence of that. Completely agree with that. It's all about the people. Hogan Lovells definitely has a reputation for just having nice, normal people, which is definitely not the case for every law firm out there, not, not to be disparaging, but I think most people I work with here are people I would like to you know, grab a drink with after work or would grab lunch with over a weekend. It's just a bunch of nice, good people who actually care about you and to me, that's been one of the most rewarding things about working here is just developing those types of relationships, whether it's just, you know, speeding it up by being in the trenches on a crazy deal or just over time getting to know people. People are really interested in, in what you're doing. And like Tina said, the whole Rising Stars initiative at the, the Life Sciences and Healthcare Associates Committee really puts a fine point on it to say that, you know, we're, it's not just lip service. We actually care. We're putting time in. We're devoted to actually making sure that the associates who, who are such a crucial aspect of, of the business feel valued and know that they're valued. And to me, that that's one of the things that makes it special about working here. And this interview wasn't meant to be kind of a recruiting <laughs> thing, marketing tool, but uh, it tends to be. <laughs> so, uh, but I think um, it's, it's nice to close it, to close our conversation with this much of positivity, especially in the times we're in right now. So thank you both for taking the time to sit down with me and have this conversation, especially that I know that you're really, really busy. 
So um, I'm looking forward to the next couple of months and obviously the following as well. So thank you. Thank you guys for um, taking the time and talk to me and be that open. That's it for today. If you have further questions for Tina and or Jay, I link the bios in the description below. If you don't want to miss any new episodes and you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button on your favorite platform. We are going to each other in about two weeks, so thank you for tuning in. We are looking forward to have you back when we're talking The Cure.